Welcome back to the Top Shelf, hosted by yours truly, Virginia and Kendra. So crack open a can, take a sip, and let's get into it. Joining us today, we have Tony Lascavio, a wine expert from The Point Resort. Yeah, I'm super interested in what he has to say because I personally am really into like sweet wine, but I also feel like that's only because I don't know where to go from there. You know what I mean? So let's, let's get to Tony. So Tony, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Sure. Uh, so I'm Tony. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time. Um, I am the assistant general manager at a little resort in upstate New York called The Point. And um, I have a lot of responsibilities, but one of which is uh, is getting all of our wine on site, meeting with uh, winemakers, distributors, uh, to find kind of the best fit product and, and pair all the wines with uh, with all the lovely meals we serve and uh, to uh, introduce guests to, uh, to totally different wines that they wouldn't expect um, would be tasty or uh, or otherwise wouldn't buy at a uh, at a wine shop. Um, so that's uh, that's one of my bigger responsibilities here. Very interesting. How long have you worked in the fine dining industry and like how did you get into it? Sure. So it was, um, it was supposed to be a temporary job that turned into a permanent job. I started washing dishes, actually, uh, I think about 10 years ago now in the dining room. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just to put a couple extra bucks in my pocket for my hobbies. And um, eventually, I stuck around and started moving up in the dining room. And the general manager at the time, he was a level three sommelier. Uh, which is kind of like a wine expert. Um, he um, he started introducing me to uh, to wines, and he started pairing uh, wines with the meals with me, and kind of uh, teaching me the process on how, what wines go with uh, what dishes, and and how to thoughtfully uh, thoughtfully pair uh, pair wines with the meals. So um, that's kind of where the interest uh, all started, and then it uh, it took off from there. I started traveling a lot with. Um, uh, with uh, just going uh, to, to France, to Italy, um, to uh, California, and exploring all of these wineries and vineyards, and meeting with the people who uh, who run them and the, the cellar masters are called, especially over in uh, France. Uh, those are the uh, the people who say um, this wine is going to production and this is the wine that we're going to be putting um, in the bottles and uh, selling so really really cool experience so um it, it just it gained a lot of traction early on because there was so much to learn and it was such a fascinating um uh, fascinating thing for me because it was so foreign to me mm-hmm. um but yeah so with the wine exploration of the country and everything where what would you say how can wine be less intimidating and how would you mix traveling in with experiencing the world of wine for people yeah. just getting into it? So um, if you're traveling, uh, especially in Europe, um, it's it's probably more approachable in Europe than, uh, than America. But um, what you want to do is you want to go to, and this is, this is how to make wine a little more approachable. 
you want to be able to go into like those uh, tiny little towns and ask for the house wine and the likelihood in those tiny little towns when you ask for the house wine that the people who own the restaurant or some part of the uh, some part of the family that owns a restaurant is associated with their house wine and um, and what I mean by that is they're either grow- growing the grapes and picking the grapes themselves or within their own family um, or they uh, they own the wineries and they have such rich history um, thing uh, you have vines going back to like the 1500s 1600s Wow. Um, which is which is pretty incredible because um, I mean it takes a long time to establish uh, vines, but they um, they've kept uh, they've kept a lot of their um, their vineyards and the families, and um, they have such a passion for it. So you can learn so much about um, about the product that they're growing and that they're selling. Um, so it's uh, it's really cool because it's a um, it's, there's no ego there's no arrogance they just want to share the love of the wine so if you do have the opportunity to to travel to some european country you want to hit those small little towns uh, and go into the unassuming restaurants and ask for their house wine mm-hmm. uh, and you're gonna you're gonna have a blast and you're gonna learn a lot um so i think for young people as you know like we're all college seniors um mm-hmm. wine can be pretty intimidating especially like you don't really know what you like a lot of people when they're young their palates are more geared sweeter so like what would you recommend like some entry-level wines besides like maybe a moscato <laughs> yeah yeah stay away from moscato yeah uh, <laughs> Um, so I would, um, like, like, so on the, on the white front, I would recommend, uh, any Sauvignon Blanc from, uh, from Napa Valley is, uh, you're going to be in good hands. Uh, it's all pretty consistent. It all tastes the same and it's super approachable and it's not going to break the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, the common misconception with, uh, with wine is that the more money you spend per bottle, the better the wine is. And that's not true at all. Um, it's, not not to say that it's the exact opposite because that's not that's not true either. But uh, you can find really good Sauvignon Blancs, um, which is a, a white wine, a white varietal, um, mm-hmm. for twelve to eighteen bucks. And uh, actually, my favorite um, Sauvignon Blanc is from this uh, from this winery called Cade, C A D E, and um, it's a little screw top. Uh, and, they also get bad raps for being screw tops, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean it's bad wine. Um, it's so good. And it's only like 15, maybe $17 tops a bottle. Wow. Uh, and you can drink it all day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's that's um, probably more budget friendly, but you're still getting a great wine. And in terms of um, a red wine, you can, um, uh, you can get really any Pinot Noir from um, California, Washington State make some really good Pinot Noirs as well as Oregon. And um, really, if you get any sort of Pinot Noir from either three of those states, it's going to be the same as the Sauvignon Blanc. It's going to be pretty predictable, pretty consistent, and there's not going to be much variance um, in flavor profiles. Um, and you can get in the game for that for like 13 to 20 bucks a bottle. Sounds good. I can't wait to try. <laughs> I'm really into um, like sweeter wines because obviously I'm young and I haven't okay. had much experience. So I'm sure. trying to up like my game. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Go for the Sauvignon Blancs. Those are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also a varietal called Chenin Blanc, which is kind of a hybrid between a sweet wine, um, which is generally generated from like the Simillon grape. And that's primarily based in France and, and Bordeaux. Um, but if you go with the Chenin Blanc, it's, it's not as sweet and not as viscous um, as, as your uh, Simillon grape. I just walked in the room, sorry. Uh, and and uh, it's not going to be as dry and as um, spicy is not the right word, but it's not going to um, be as harsh as a Sauvignon Blanc. So a Chenin Blanc is a good grape to try. It's like mm-hmm. a good uh, middle ground. And it'll get you out of the Moscato game. You want to be out of that game yeah. as soon as you can be. <laughs> For sure. So when tasting wine, I mm-hmm. always ask questions like, what should we be looking for? And just to kind of sound like, how do we know we like wine besides just we like it or we don't like it? Like, what are things that we want to look for in the wine that we like to? Or especially when you're pairing yeah. food, like what factors are you looking at when you're tasting a wine and you're trying to determine what it goes with or if you like it or not? Yeah, so um, a lot of factors. So take here, for example, at the point um, I work with our executive chef. I know his style. I know his style uh, pretty well because um, I've been working with him for ten years, and um, he has a uh, he's like a very heavy on the cream and the butter uh, in, in that kind of category. And um, sorry, second, spilt the uh, athletic greens all over my desk. Um, <laughs> Uh, sorry. Um, yeah, so he has a, he has a super rich kind of fatty, uh, flavor profile. So what I like to do with, uh, with those kind of dishes, um, is you want to kind of balance, you want to bring everything together with the wine. So you don't want to use like a, like a rich Chardonnay from Napa Valley. Um, that would, uh, that would overpower the dish. And it would uh, it would make like the mouthfeel, the one phrase to use, um, a little off-putting, uh, and it's not going to jive well with the dish. So a Sauvignon Blanc would actually be really good with like a super fatty, uh, heavy, um, heavy cream, buttery kind of dish. And it's um, so that's that's one one approach. Um, and if you're really looking to um, other than just like the taste, if you're looking to get a wine that you like or uh, a wine that you might like, but you don't know how it tastes, you can do it by color. So the deeper the hue is, the darker the hue is, the uh, richer the flavors are going to be and the more robust the wine is going to be. And that's true with, um, with white red, uh, not so much champagne, but older champagnes def- definitely have a, a deeper hue, more caramelly kind of color. Um, but if you're um, if you know you like say Pinot Noirs, um, there's always varying levels of um, what's called viscosity, and that's basically how thick the wine is. So when you go into a restaurant, you twirl the glass, and then you look at the legs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's measuring uh, viscosity, and the uh, the longer it takes the legs to drip from the top of the glass down. 
uh, the more viscous it's going to be. So the more dense the wine is going to be, the more bold the flavors are going to be. Um, so with a Pinot Noir, it's going to have a light hue. It's going to be um, not so viscous. Um, it's going to be light viscosity, it's called. And um, generally, there's a... Uh, let's see. I'm trying to give like a really good example. Uh, so the more age it has as well, uh, the more age that the wine has, the uh, the more viscous it's going to be naturally because it's been kind of sitting um, in the sediment and um, it's been doing its scientific process in the bottle for more years. So that's that's going to be a little different. You're going to get some um, sediment in the glass. And uh, let me know if I'm going off on a tangent because no, that would be tendency to do that. Um so the uh, the older the wine is going to be, the the more sediment you're going to have, and that's going to not necessarily play to uh, the viscosity so much. It's really going to play with um, with the mouthfeel and uh, what you're going to smell. So um, if you open up an older bottle of wine, it doesn't matter what color it is, what varietal it is, uh, the um, the likelihood of the hue being deeper is uh, is more it, it's it's greater that it's, it has a greater likelihood um, and it's going to be a little more complex and you have to know um, kind of where the wine is coming from and uh, uh, you have to know like what region so is it America is it Napa is it Washington State is it Willamette Valley uh, is it Bordeaux France um, things like that. Um, can That'll you, kind of give you a yeah. No, you go. No, keep okay. Go <laughs> okay. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, since you're obviously pairing and um, working in fine dining um, mm-hmm. about the glass shape and size and why it's different? Does it change the taste? Does it make the experience different? Like, why is a white wine glass different than a red wine or champagne? Yeah, totally. So um, we can start with the champagne glass because that's the most straightforward. Mm-hmm. So uh, champagne, you have, uh, well, you have a lot of different classifications, but you have a vintage and a non-vintage champagne. Um, so if you're uh, a non-vintage means that they take uh, grapes from maybe five years, they throw it into a batch, and then that, that's what they're producing for non-vintage uh, champagnes. Um, but vintage champagnes are strictly from that year that they pick the grapes. So um, with a vintage champagne, um, your champagne glass isn't. I have an example. Your champagne glass isn't. Uh, I do have an example. So, this right here, I need to wash it. Um, but this, you would put a uh, like a non-vintage champagne because it's it's just a regular kind of tulipy shape. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a vintage champagne glass, it would have kind of a thicker uh, base. Not so thick, but a thicker base, and then it'll it'll come up. It'll be a little more narrow on the top of the glass, yeah. And that's ultimately to um, to open up the um, the scent, the, the 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 experience, the the flavor of the champagne because it's been bottled up so long. You have to aerate it just naturally, um, let the oxygen get to it. So um with the your uh, with your non vintage it, it's naturally a smaller glass cuz you want to keep those bubbles non vintage champagne is meant to be purchased and consumed kind of within uh, a few month time frame of buying it so the bubbles are still prominent they're still um they're still uh super active so you want to keep them contained um and the same goes for 
any red or, or white uh, wine glass. So reds tend to be a little more complex. Red wines tend to be more complex so the glasses tend to be a little thicker because mm-hmm. there's more going on in the bottle and the, um, and the, uh, and the grapes themselves because um, they just naturally are more bold, uh, bold grapes. So you need to, uh, you really need to uh, get some oxygen into the wine. So your red wine glasses are generally a little larger than, um, than your white wine glasses. Your white wine glasses, it's a soft, um, just kind of a softer grape. It's uh, a little more simple, not nearly as complex. So you don't need to really get all of that oxygen in the glass to, uh, to open up the flavors because it happens pretty quickly. That makes sense that it like there's an actual reason behind it, you know, like you would think like, yeah. oh, no, they just decided big for red, <laughs> smaller for white, yeah. smallest for champagne. Yeah. <laughs> but that makes yeah. sense that the red wine needs more oxygen. Yeah, it works. Yeah. So, Tony, what are your favorite wine pairings that you like to have or like seasons that you like to taste different kinds of wines with different pairs? Like, what excites you? Uh, what excites me? Uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with champagne. That okay. is a great combination. <laughs> uh, and if you haven't tried it, you have to. Um, that's like a so like that's that's actually what excites me. So, like you you whip up a grilled cheese and then you're like, I wonder what kind of wine is going to taste really good with this. And then you're probably gonna pull out like uh, like a Sauvignon Blanc or uh, a crispy Chardonnay because um, you're cooking assuming you don't have crazy dietaries uh, like Virginia does, um, but you're cooking your uh, your grilled cheese and like butter and you're slapping on the cheese. So you don't want to, you don't want to pair like a Chardonnay with it, like a, mm-hmm. like a big, big bold Chardonnay. You want to, you want to go on the crispy side. So you want to go with the Sauvignon Blanc. So like stuff like that is fun. Um, pairing with like fun foods, like cheeseburgers, it's like what kind of red wine can you, uh, can you pour with a uh, with a cheeseburger? And I would say some really nicely made Cabernet from uh, from like Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like that that that's that's what's really fun. And I, I get to do that a little bit uh, here because we we do have fun like that. But um, it's it's usually more serious than that. You have to pair it with like serious dishes, and, and you have to be you have to you have to take a more scientific approach, but I like uh, I like the fun pairings. Mm-hmm. So a little less wine directed, but obviously you work with wine a lot. You're pairing cheeseburgers mm-hmm. and mac and cheese with wine. Um, what do you have any other like? Are you a, normally a beer drinker? Do you, are you go like what's your other go to drinks besides wine? Uh, I love Negronis. Big Negroni fan. <laughs> uh, so that that's uh, I know you had a. Actually, listened to part of your podcast on my way home yesterday that you had with the the bartender lady. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. But yeah, Negronis are uh, yeah, uh, Negronis are really good. Um, so that's that's a good go to. But if you're going to like a like a divey bar, like a hole in the wall place, you always want to like have a backup. Um, you want to have like a simple drink, and like that's usually like a gin and tonic, which is kind of lame. So you don't stay there very long. You just have one gin and tonic, and then it goes somewhere fun. Yeah, sounds good. 
Um, what is an unusual or underrated or just like not very known um, variety that you would like recommend for a young person to try? So maybe something that they wouldn't just walk up to in like a Publix and pick out. Yeah, um, I would say so. It's the varietal is called Shiraz, and it's a Southern Australian grape. Um, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a mix between a Syrah, which is a, a red, um, and a Cabernet, which is also a red. Um, but it's Australian. It's Australia's take. So it's in a warmer climate. Um, it's not as dense. Um, it's pretty approachable and it's super tasty. Um, and it's, I mean, you can get them for crazy amounts of money, but you can also get a Shiraz for maybe like 20, 22 bucks. But I, I would say if you ever see a Shiraz on the shelf, uh, on the shelves, I would recommend snagging it and trying it. In like the time you've been working in the industry, do you have a favorite memory that has just caught your attention? It's something that you would bring up and talk about? Yeah, so um, I went to uh, Napa Valley, uh, this is a long time ago, it's probably like six years ago, seven years ago, um, and there's this um, this winery called David Arthur, and it's on, uh, Napa Valley has like, Napa Valley is an, an actual valley, but there's all hills and mountains all around, uh, all around the little town, and we were on, um, one of the more prominent mountains in, um, in Napa called Perchard Hill. Mm. And we were drinking, I think at the time it was like a uh, 2006 um, uh, elevation 1147 by David Arthur. And we were sitting under this oak tree, just kind of looking over like off of Perchard Hill over like Napa Valley. And you can see all the other um, wineries around and, we were getting the um, the whole context of um, uh, what the land used to be. So, like in in the 1950s, um, they used to raise cattle, and um, they had a uh, they had a butcher on site, and it was still the family's land, but they just used it for a different purpose back in the 50s. And then 1975, 78, somewhere around then, um, their son David Arthur. Uh, planted the first um, first vines um, in like a half uh, half an acre um, plot, and it takes the vines a while to uh, to establish themselves. So that's what they called because it was at the very top of their their plot. So they called it uh, Elevation Eleven Forty Seven. And you're sitting under this oak tree. Uh, they had taken taken down all the other trees to um, once they started getting rid of the cattle and they started uh, establishing the vines, um, they just left this one tree and there's a little picnic table under it. And the wine master, the guy who basically bottled what we were drinking was explaining this whole thing. So um, that was, that was a lot of fun because it gave it context and you're like right there in the on location drinking the wine. Um, so that, that's probably my favorite memory right now. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, and thank you for being here. I know you have definitely other things to do today, so we'll let you go. But where? how can um, – our last final follow-up question would be, what do you see for, like, yourself in the industry in the future? Do you still want to, like, work at restaurants? How do you want to still be in the future and with the wine industry? Sorry. Uh, yeah, so I um, 
like I collect wine, so I'll, I'll keep doing that. And I like to dine at places, but I don't think I'll be in the industry much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'll keep a little pulse on it on, on a personal level, but yeah. I think professionally I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty done with it. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome to keep it in your life as like kind of like a hobby and something that interests sure. you more than just making money off of it. I love yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, do you want to shout your restaurant out? I don't know if you want to shout your Instagram out, how people can find you. It's up to you kind of, if you want to do that or we can just kind of wrap up. Um, yeah, we, we could drop off. I'm a pretty boring person. Okay. No worries. It was up to you. So, well, thank you. Yeah, for, I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Tony. And then Yeah, you got it. Thanks for taking the time. Amazing. It was so informative to have him on. I feel like as young people, um, I'm so grateful to like hear more about the wine and fine dining industry. And I thought <laughs> um, what he said about like eating grilled cheese with wine or um, a what, what was that? A um, peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I think that's really interesting. And also hearing about how he puts himself in the environment of different places to try wines and travel yeah like the story about um when he was sitting under the tree in napa that was so interesting and um i think he really showed us like more about the experience of pairing wine and fine dining and um rather than just talking about the different variations yeah exactly and i think the um when he touched on the different glassware that's something that I didn't really know much about yeah. so it's interesting that the glass does change the taste of what you are drinking so right and like different wines need different glasses like for me I'm always like I I love a big wine glass and I put anything and everything in there um but it makes more sense that like the red wine needs more oxygen so it has to be in a bigger glass yeah exactly so Virginia what are you drinking this weekend I think this weekend, speaking of champagne, I've been doing champagne and pink lemonade. Don't oh knock it till you try it. <laughs> it's actually really refreshing and delicious. So. How did that come? Just lack of ingredients in my house. <laughs> so I had champagne and I had lemonade and I combined the two because I was too late for mimosa. So uh. <laughs> I decided pink lemonade was second best. Oh my gosh, sounds so good. Um, I think I'm going to be drinking. Oh, you know what? I'm going to try a grilled cheese and champagne, like he said. It sounds so good. I can't wait. Um, So that's actually all we have for you today. Come back next time and have another drink with us from the top shelf.